You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Katie. Today's episode features an interview with Robin Raymond. Robin Raymond is the owner of Red Spade Records, a super boutique specialty record production firm. Raymond's interest in music began early with Raymond touring across Canada as the lead singer of rock band 40 Gun Flagship. She transitioned into an artist support role with the Union Limited, touring with several acts including Motley Crue and Sam Smith. After a brief exit from the music industry to work with the Canadian Olympic bobsled, hockey, and skeleton teams, Raymond returned to the industry. Rather than going back on the road, she shifted her interest to vinyl records and the complex art of lathe cutting. Today, Raymond works out of the famed Lacquer Channel Mastering in Toronto, the oldest mastering studio in Canada. She holds the distinction of being the only female record cutter in the entire nation of Canada. As a lathe cutter, a specialized role in the process of vinyl record manufacturing, Raymond has worked on projects with everyone from respected labels like Dynalone Records to Italian luxury fashion brand Prada. A believer of bringing more women into technical fields in the music industry, Raymond takes every opportunity to speak at industry events. Yeah, welcome. Killed <laughs> <laughs> it, right? Oh, yeah. But I feel like I need a little keychain sampler that makes noises sometimes. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Wow. I didn't realize how like good that would feel to have someone air horn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my bio read. I mean, I feel like that is like the byline that I don't advertise all the time, but I am one hell of a hype man. It's like my favorite thing to do is pump up other people's tires. It's the best thing of That's life. like your side hustle? Yeah, just finding somebody to encourage every day. <laughs> so nice. Hey, you, you're doing a great job. Hey, you, pew, pew. <laughs> wow. It's your day, Katie. It's your day. Oh, my God. It feels really good. <laughs> I'm going to kind of make every guest do that now. Now it's all about me and my self-esteem. Well, hype woman, Robin, I just discovered that lathe cutting is this kind of real time thing, which yeah. is like, whoa, that's so personal and like <laughs> lovely and like meticulous. <laughs> it is. It's it's a very, a very singular existence when you're doing it. And it's not for everybody, that's for sure. <laughs> but I found that it's, it appeals to my meticulous nature and my love of repetition. So was more, I get more excited about it as I learn more about it and execute more records. I thought that it might get old as I spent more and more and more hours doing it, but no, it's even better now. So (laughs) what is your headspace like when you're doing one? I try to be as engaged with the record as I can because really it's like, it's a master of that record, even when I'm doing multiples. So I listen to it in real time as I'm doing it and just try and make it the best record as I can, even if I'm doing a hundred of them, like I'm doing right now, every single one of those records is going to a person that really loves that person. So it has to be the best that I can make it. Sometimes it's a bit of a struggle technically. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in lathe world, but (laughs) I feel like I've weathered the storms and have a better understanding of all of those things now. So it's just about, yeah, like really paying attention and Kevin Park, who is a lacquer cutter at Lacquer Channel, he has a saying where he says, you don't make good records if you're having a bad day. So you kind of have to like really be aware and like choose your attitude going into your room and turning your gear on and, you know, say a little prayer to the record gods and be like, all right, today's going to be a great day. Or, you know, it's very much the... 
and maybe this makes me a basic white girl. I don't know, but it's very much the Grey's Anatomy thing where it's like, it's a beautiful day to save lives, but it's also a beautiful day to make good records. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little McDreamy, but it's also a little, uh, I don't know what the record equivalent would be, but it's definitely that I have a, I have a personal relationship with my machine and my gear and I like to give it a little pep talk every day. And I'm like, all right, guys, we're all in this together. Let's make some bitchin' records. So. Uh, is there, do you have a name for your, uh, yeah. For your machine? Yeah. My, uh, my number one machine, uh, his name is Fritz. Oh. Yeah. He, uh, is the, the number two in command of the guys that actually made the machines. So, and I had a, a really funny broken English, bad German talk with him while I was in Germany about that machine. And so I, I deemed that he was going to be the namesake for my machine all the time because. If you if you're gonna cuss at something, it should have a name. Otherwise, you just look crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. <laughs> How did you meet him in in Germany? So I went to Germany to get my machine. It was 2018. I got the green light from Suri, who is the German that has created my lathe, and he was his like hurdle that you had to kind of get over to get one of the lathes was to go to Germany and train with him in real time because that's what the gig is. So yeah, he picked me up at the train station and he was like, but you're a girl. And I said, yeah, because to this point we'd only talked on email. So he didn't know what he was getting into. (laughs) (laughs) And I roll up and I had purple hair at that point and yeah, he was just like, what is this? And I was like, we're going to be best friends. It's going to be great. And so we went into his workshop the next day and we were there for 16 or 18 hours. And his brother is Fritz. So me and Suri and Fritz were talking about everything record and Germany and Bavaria and all the things. And yeah, we formed a good little friendship. We packed up all of our machines and it was, I think, three o'clock in the morning at that point. We had been there since 10 a.m. And Suri said, and now you go home. And I said, really? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So disassembled our machines. He took me back to this like little German hotel. And I went across Germany the next day and hung out with some people that I knew. And then got a plane back to Calgary and started the wait my machine to show up and it was six weeks until it got there and I was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh so yeah it was very much a being thrown in the deep end of the pool and trial by fire and all of those kind of like euphemisms that we have for like learning by struggle but (laughs) that's kind of how I learn is just by doing not necessarily being instructed so, I mean, there was a lot of people that said like, well, this is mastering. Like you're, you're, you don't, you don't have a background in mastering. Like you're not going to do well at it. And I said, well, says you, like, I'll be the, I'll, I'll decide how about like, let, let me steer my own ship. And if this is a misadventure, then whatever. It's your own misadventure. Yeah. At least, yeah. I, at least I tried a thing. 
And here we are, man. Like, I didn't know that I was going to be the only, like, lady-type cutter in Canada when I started. I was just like, hey, I'm going to cut records. That looks wicked. And then I found out. And I was like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) Oh. How'd you find out? Noah Mitz, that owns Lacquer Channel, he was like, I think you're the only woman that cuts records in Canada. And I was like, no, come on. There's no way. That doesn't make sense. And he was like... There's not a lot of people that cut records, though. And I was like, I guess that's correct. I don't know. I, I like to say, like, fortune favors the bold, right? Like that. I don't know if it's attributed to Caesar or to Marcus Aurelius, but those dudes were totally right. Like, you don't. Nothing pays off if you don't take a big swing sometimes. Like, even moving across the country. Like, I feel like that was the boldest thing that I did. But luckily. That's been pretty good. But, you know, I like I don't know if I would still be cutting records if I was still in Calgary. I really needed to learn from people that kind of knew more than I did about stuff and be in the environment and, you know, kind of be a little bit monastic about it, because that's kind of my life. Like I wake up and, you know, get my fitness on and you know, take my dog out and that kind of stuff. And then like prep for the day. And then I go to the studio and I'm at the studio for like eight, nine, 10 hours. Sometimes, sometimes longer, depending, you know, sometimes you just get in a rhythm and you're like, this is sweet. And then I come home for a bit and then I do it again. And I work seven days a week. And that's just like, kind of always the way that I've always been. It didn't really matter like what I was doing. But now I, you know, I work for myself. So that's, better right and (laughs) I mean I I think that work-life balance is bs for me and I'm like I love what I do so I do it all the time I'm not encumbered by what I do I'm like let's make more records oh my god what am I doing today oh I'm etching records oh these are x-rays oh now I'm doing this like I get to work with bonkers people and I'm like this is the best gig of all time why didn't I do this 20 years ago Okay, let's go back to it. We're going to have to go back in time then sure. to get to this yeah. exact moment because Ugh. I want to know the road oh, to get to a job that you love so much <laughs> that work-life balance is. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> and and again, all of my jobs I have loved the whole time. Like it's, it's just like you either find your way around things or it's like things just kind of end, you know, sometimes you're just like not. It's not the thing for you forever. It's the thing for you for a while. And then you come to their recognition point where it's like, okay, we need to part company because I've grown, you've grown. These things aren't aligning anymore because that's pretty much exactly what happened with bobsled and skeleton and hockey. Like I was a manual therapist and I loved what I was doing. I mean, I miss it all of the time, but you know, I had to recognize that that was not my path after end of 2017 season was the end of my my time with them. Okay, let's go all the way back. Let's <laughs> follow the Marker. your life. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> um, it also said you d- did live sound, right? I read that. I worked in production. So I was, okay. yeah, I was a stage manager, logistics manager, sometime tour manager. I could do stagehand stuff if I needed to, but I was more of a crew boss, and then I worked in the office doing all the tour logistics, all the ticket setups and immigration for all the bands and ran shows. I was like a promoter rep at the same time. Yeah, I did that for six years. Wow. So, okay, did you go to school? 
yeah, off and on every now and again. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, the, the funny thing was, is I actually had a, a scholar, like a musical theater scholarship. Okay. And I was like, but I'm going to go to kinesiology school because I want to get a job. And <laughs> they were like, well, we're going to take our money back then. And I was like, well, okay, how does that work? But here we are making money in music. <laughs> Shock. Shocker. Um, but yeah, I went I went to school for yeah, kinesiology, athletic therapy. Along the way, I got my certification in massage therapy, but I've never done any like music school. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean <laughs> like your, your path is so cool. I, anybody that asks me, they're like, How did you do? I'm like, don't do it the way that I did it. <laughs> Trust me, you won't like it and it's not gonna it's not gonna be good for you. <laughs> Please don't do it the way I did. <laughs> Here, here's an even funnier one. Before I went to Germany, it was my grandmother's birthday and a bunch of family from out here came to Alberta to see my grandma. And my uncle Peter, who I had never met before, was at this little shindig. And he said, your mother tells me that you're getting back into the music business. And I said, yeah, I'm going to Germany to get this weird lathe thing and he was like Robin you know I'm a mastering engineer right and I was like no because I've never met you like <laughs> what and I was like of course you are what do you mean so I actually apparently come by it honestly because my uncle Peter is a mastering engineer and has been forever wow so are you I, I assume you now are in regular contact with no no, oh, no, that's the last time I talked to him. <laughs> Other than I think when I first moved out here and I was like, hey, I live in Toronto now. And he's like, that's great. We're still in Waterloo. And I was like, okay, super. Shout out Uncle Peter. I mean, he's the best. Okay, so you you, you did kinesiology. Mm -hmm. And then out of school, what was your kind of first gig? Uh, I moved to, so I left college in Red Deer. I moved to Calgary. And I did random jobs for a long time. And I went to paramedic school. I was going to do more of that. And then <laughs> I answered an ad in a paper for a, a dude that was looking for a singer in a band. And I was like, oh, man, I would love to sing in a band again. And my boyfriend at the time was like, well, what are you guys going to be doing? And I was like, band practice. Like, anybody that has been in a band knows that it is, like, not fun. Like, it's, I mean, it's fun, but it's, like, not fun to, for anybody else to, like, go hang out. Like, it's just a bunch of people <laughs> playing the same song over and over and over again, trying to learn it. So, <laughs> so he got, like, a little jealous, and we got into a crazy fight. And I went in, and I quit my job. And I went and got a job at the music store. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah? <laughs> Music is my life. Later, yeah, I was like, "You're gonna be, oh, you're gonna be mad that I'm gonna that I'm gonna be singing in a basement for a little while." Okay, just wait till I go start slinging guitars and stuff at a music store. How are you gonna like that, bro? Yeah, I'm very subtle all of the time. Uh, <laughs> um, so then I was working at uh, the legendary Axe Music in Calgary. Yeah, playing in bands and stuff. I started going to a lot of shows as you do once you've been leashed into the world and the big city at that point because I came from a town of like 2,000 people so now I was like in the center of a million I was like whoa 
What's all this? This is amazing. Yeah, I was like, oh, these people, this is great. Like, there's tattooed weirdos. I can be a tattooed weirdo now. And I fully leaned into that. And, <laughs> Love it. and I started going to a lot of shows and I kept seeing these dudes. And they were like, you're at a lot of shows. And I was like, so are you. And they're like, yeah, we run them. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, you know everybody too. And I was like, well, I mean, okay. And uh, they're like, do you want to be part of the street team? Because I mean, back in the day in the early 2000s, like promoter steez was like multi-level marketing for punk rock kids. <laughs> and I, no one can tell me different. Like <laughs> it was like, Hey kid, you want to do like fun stuff for free? Hand out all these flyers, make sure that you do this and get all these, like sell all these tickets and stuff. And you can, you can come to rock shows for free. And I was like, I like free stuff. Let's do it. But then I became the middle person that had all of the kids <laughs> underneath me. And I was like doing all the stuff. And then they found out that I worked in a music store and they were like, can we get gear from you? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so then it became, okay, I was punching out of the job that was paying me to go do free stuff for these other dudes. And then my boss was like really cool at that point too, because I was just like, hey, I'm going to go do this thing. He's like, all right. I was like, okay. I guess it was like kind of good for him that I was repping the store and stuff and being the cool chick that went to do the rock show stuff and whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went and I <laughs> set up gear and backline and stuff for like little bar shows and stuff. And then I would go back to work and then I'd punch back in and then I would go and strike everything and take it all back to the store. <laughs> and then I would play little acoustic shows with my duo at that point we were called the Flins, and that was really fun and we got into this little like battle of the bands to be the club band at this like little cafe kind of thing and man it was the funnest like year of my life it was so fun there was us there was another band called the lions and another band we had like a three-way like showdown and it was all about like who could bring in like more people and then we got to go to another location. We played there and like, it was just, it, and we won. So then we got a residency. So we played every Friday wow. and that was like so fun. And I met so many people and I had such a great time. And like musically, I was like feeling pretty good because we were starting to like write songs and stuff, which was the first time that I ever did that. Cause before that wow. I was always just like a backup singer or a choir person because that's where I came from. It was just like right. classical choir singing, which always shocks everyone when they look at me and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like in the church? Yeah. I mean, we would do church gigs too, but I, I maintain this. Like if Glee would have been a thing when I was in school, I would have been the most popular kid of all time <laughs> because it was very much Glee. We did show choir. We did like medleys of like Disney songs. We got to go to Disneyland and be there for magic music days. And like, that was the best ever. It was during the Lion King. It was so fun. Oh, I aged myself. Uh, <laughs> all these rad things that I used to do when I was a kid. It was so fun. We had the best time. So then the guys that were running all the shows, they were just like, well, you're really you got a, a knack for this. Why don't you like start coming into the office and we'll pay you? And I was like, oh, pay me. Oh, okay. That sounds great. So I quit working at the guitar store and started working for the union. Yeah, that was like 2005. I graduated high school in 99 and 
went to college like right out the gate and moved to Calgary in 2002. Yeah, so I just kind of messed around for two or three years and then found my way to my tribe. That's when I started to learn like promoter stees and the business side of like building a rock show and like what budgets are like in immigration, like the business, like how to actually like kind of be successful while you're being a band. And I became the lead singer of 40 Guns in 2008. And then, yeah, we started to play all over the place. We came out to Toronto twice for Canadian Music Week, had a pretty decent record in 2011 that Alan Cross even liked. Oh my Let God. me tell you how geeked I was that day. Oh, 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 there was no dealing with me at all. Nope. Mm-mm. No one could tell me anything that day when, when Alan Cross was like, here's a song that you need to hear this week at Canadian Music Week. And I was like, I'm, I'm dead. I can retire now. And I ran into him at a party that night and I, I, I told him that and I geeked out. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, okay, kid. So as soon as I got here to do this, I sent him an email and I was like, guess what? I'm doing this now. And he was like, that's really cool. And I was like, oh my God, he still thinks I'm cool. (laughs) So I worked for the union and we did shows from British Columbia through the corridor. So British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, like on the regular. And we were kind of the upstart little brother alternative to... Live Nation, House of Blues, before they merged. We were the guys that would get the littler bands, like Rise Against, Alexis on Fire, Billy Talent. Those little those, guys? Those are like they the were, Canadian They were the little guys when we, when we were doing it. Um, we did Drake's first show in Calgary. Wow. Yeah, and I remember we put that on sale, and it was on sale for, I think, an 800-seater first. Then the first mixtape dropped. We had to move the venue three or four times, and we wound up with a 6,500-person show. And that was in 2009, I think. Might have been 2010. All of these dates kind of blur together, so with a little grain of salt. But it actually happened. I mean, your life sounds crazy. I know. So I know. Like, that's, that's the thing. It has been kind of kind of bonkers. But yeah, we did we did like some pretty mega shows. We did the first outside show in Calgary uh, at the football stadium since Lilith Fair in like the, that was, I think in 1994 and they hadn't had an outside show in that football stadium since then. And we did the Monsters of Rock tour there in 2008 with Ozzy and Rob Zombie and Cavalier Conspiracy and who else was there? I mean, everybody. It was a big, and it was like, it was the week after we did Virgin Fest for the first time outside of Toronto, and that was in Calgary too, and that was like, I mean, that was a dream festival to work, and that was like Flaming Lips, we had the Tragically Hip, that was the first time that Gore Downey and uh, Dallas Green sang Sleeping Sickness together on stage, and I cried like a child. Yeah. Yeah, it was a moment, it was the best actually, because this is a little flex though. I was like, oh, this is the time. So I came out because we had like stage and then crowd. And then there was like cable access that was like split off by like barricade. Right. So I just stood in there, crowd behind me. And I watched my own little show. And I was like, Gord, <laughs> Dallas, this is the best. And I mean, like they knew me by name. So they were just like, oh, hey. And I was like, oh, hey. Like it was great. Uh-uh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, with Stone Temple Pilots. Who else do we have? Oh man, that was like a that was a crazy fun show. 
that was a really fun weekend. Um, but yeah, we did Monsters of Rock at the same time. We used to have an annual Christmas show called Jingle Bell Rock. We were very dedicated to putting a lot of Canadian talent on the bills all the time. There it is. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay, so you ended up swinging back around engaging your kinesiology therapist stuff with yeah. the Olympics? Yeah, I worked with um, bobsled skeleton in hockey from 2012 to 2017. I went on the last tour with bobsled and skeleton before that was the year before the games in Korea and we came back from tour and my contract was not renewed but was not renewed until I mean maybe I'm going to the Olympics in 2018 I still haven't received an email back (laughs) so really I got ghosted uh and that was like not not super professional um and kind of did a number on my old mental health because, as we've established, I go in when I do something. So that was really like a, a come to Jesus where I didn't know what was going to become of the, the myth, the legend that is myself. It was really hard. 2017 was a really dark, dark year. If it wasn't for the Church of Rock and Roll, man... I would not probably have made it out because I started to talk to some of the people that I used to work with in production and they were like, Oh my God, can you come work this again then? And I was like, I mean, probably I don't think I've forgotten how to do it (laughs) because touring with a sporting organization is very similar to touring with a rock band. Right. You still got to organize people. Logistics, logistics, logistics. So I was like, sure, if you'll have me. And they're like, gladly. Oh, God. And I was like, okay. So then I started working for a label, just like doing some social media stuff. And we were going up to a Metallica show. My bass player, my old bass player and I, and we were both lamenting being old, not knowing what to do with ourselves. Because he was working in civil engineering and building bridges and stuff. And he's like, why, though? (laughs) And I was like, because you make like a hundred grand, dude, come on. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but what about you? And I was like, let's not talk about me right now. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't make that money. I don't know what I'm doing. My life is a hot garbage fire disaster. So, and he was like, but what about like, what about records, Rob? He's like, you like records more than you like anybody. And I was like, that's true. And he's like, and you know more about records than anybody I've ever met. And at that time, the only record pressing plant in Canada was in Calgary. And I knew those guys. And I was like, huh, maybe I could do sales or something for them. And I started to investigate it a little bit. And they closed. And I was like, but vinyl is like on the upswing, bros. How did you guys mess this up? And God love them for what they did though I mean they got it started the guy their landlord like started to kind of like try and figure out new gear and update the press and whatever and he was going to reopen and I met him and him and I didn't really see eyeball to eyeball but I was kind of like I'm going to do something with records I think and the guy that I was working with 
at the label, I was working for this label called Inner Ocean, which is a lo-fi hip-hop label in Calgary. And they have an incredible catalog. Corey does an incredible job curating and keeping his fingers on the pulse of like lo-fi biz. He's got a great ear and he's a talented musician himself. He's, he's fantastic. And I wouldn't have stumbled upon this lathe if it wasn't for him. So he was like, you should check this thing out. And I was like, what's this? And he's like, I don't know. It's like something in, in Germany, like this dude builds them. And I was like, okay. So I made it my like desktop photo on my computer and I was like staring at it for hours. And I was like, all right. So I went through lots of interneting, trying to figure out what the deal was with this thing. And just then the first making vinyl conference in Detroit was announced literally the next day. Wow. And I was like, hello universe. I'm paying attention. (laughs) What, what are you trying to tell me? And there was a guy that was going to be on a panel that was a lathe cutter. And I was like, Oh, clearly I need to go talk with this human. And I worked for a label so I could go to the conference because I worked for a label. And Corey was like, I don't, I'm not paying for that. And I was like, of course you're not. I will. It's fine. And he was like, okay, good. And I was like, great. I'm going to Detroit. Okay. So I went to Detroit. I met DMC. Like, oh, wow. From DMC. Because he was one of our keynote speakers. So it was Jack White because third man pressing, obviously. And a bunch of these other record people. And I met this lathe guy and I was like, so what's the deal with this? And he was like one of the only people that was like, no, you should totally do this. And he'd never met me before in my life. And he's from Tucson and his name is Mike Dixon. And he's one of my my best Judies. I call that guy all the time. And I'm like, dude, and he's he will always have some nugget of wisdom or something to push me on and tell me I'm awesome. It's the best. But right from the get-go, I was like, I was like, are you Mike Dixon? He's like, yes. And I was like, get ready to be best friends. He's like, who are you? And (laughs) okay. And I was like, sweet. So I'm from Canada. He's like, of course you are. And I was like, I'm going to go to Germany and get this laid. What do you think? He's like, great idea. Go get it. And I was like, cool. Yeah. Like being there and like meeting a bunch of these people that were just kind of like starting their record journeys, like these dudes that I'd met from Georgia were just building a record pressing plant and like, I'm still good friends with them. And they were just like, yeah, like the struggle is real. And I was like, dude, I know. And I was like, and you're talking about like $800,000 and I'm just talking about like (laughs) $8,000 different scopes for different folks, but like (laughs) still, (laughs) but we were all kind of like, you know, you could tell it was just like a room full of people that like really cared about records and just like really wanted to do it however that looked like that was like October or November of 2017 I went in February 2018 got my machine it came to my house six weeks later in a crate (laughs) I opened the crate and I put the lid back on and I sat down on my steps and I cried because I was like I didn't put this thing together I took it apart how am I going to put it back together there's no manual no, no, no. Of course not. No, no, there's no manual. No. Uh, I was like, great. This is, you're doing, doing great things right now, kid. You're, yeah, that was, that one was, I had a long walk with myself that day. And then just like for the next month, I just kind of like opened up the thing and like took out pieces and, you know, read more stuff on the internet and like figured stuff out and eventually got it to where it was kind of like functional 
ish. But it wasn't because something had broken during transport. But my technical knowledge at that point was so limited that I didn't know what the problem was and how to fix it. So I kind of was like, well, this is either the most expensive record player on the planet now, or I'm going to figure this out. And so that struggle bus happened for the springtime of 2018, the summertime of 2018, and then into the fall. When the second Making Vinyl was announced. And one of the people that I had met at the first one was like, are you coming to the next one? And I was like, I don't make vinyl, though. I'm a big fakey fakerson. I am the phoniest pony at the party. Nobody nobody wants me there. And she was like, no, everybody that can fix your problem is going to be at this thing. That's why you need to come. I said, okay, fine. So I quit my job. <laughs> because... <laughs> The boss that I had wasn't going to let me go. And I was like, well, you can either do the thing and commit to the thing that you got a line of credit for and financed yourself. And now you have to figure out the next move or you can continue to have your head in the sand and like ignore this problem that you've created for yourself. So I was like, all right, quit my job. See ya. Went back to Detroit. First night I met a bunch of Canadians that were there that weren't at the first one, including Noah and Kevin. By the end of this next two days, Noah was like, you need to move to Toronto. Come work at Lacquer Channel. And I said, okay. Went back home. That was November. And I got to Toronto on January 14th of 2019. I went home, sold everything, put my house on the market, did all the things, and... Moved out here to a shared bedroom in a basement with a person that I never met and my dog and a room full of stuff in the studio. And I've spent 95% of the last 1,075 days in that room at Lacquer Channel. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was a very good story. You're a really good storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay, final thanks. question. To get more people, get more ladies up in yeah. this gig, like why why do you love your job so much? Uh, like one more selling point and like what advice do you have so they can be as badass Ooh. as you are? Lathe cutting is a weird collection of humans. I feel like there's maybe on the high side, maybe 150 people that do it in the world, maybe 200. So it's very, it's a very small club of people that cut records. It's one of the most inclusive and supportive groups of people that I've never met ever. It's like you focus on this thing and there's all these little things and sometimes you have to do things in sequence. Otherwise things just don't work. But we all have like mechanical problems and it's physics, but it's all like related to the same kind of physics. So it's like I might have this like weird little lathe and they might have these like big rock star lathes, but we still have similar problems. So it's very humbling for them and for me (laughs) where I'm like, are you having a static problem when the humidity is like this? And they're like, yeah. And what about this? What about your vacuum? So, I mean, I'm always going to tell people that cutting records is a great thing to do. It's expensive and it's hard to like get into gear wise because you have to have the capital to be able to do it. So that's kind of a barrier to entry. Uh, unless you can sweet talk a loans officer like I did, and then the world is your oyster. 
work on your people skills, kids. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Always, always be closing. Like, you know, if sometimes if you can be excited about your idea and you can just like, if you're excited, you can be infectious and like other people, like good infectious though. And people will buy into whatever you're excited about. And that's exactly how my journey started. But, um, people like what I do until they see me do it. And they're, they're like, this is really boring. So it's very much not for everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, if you like doing things like the dishes and like washing your car or like highly repetitive tasks that you need to be like engaged in, <laughs> lathe cutting might be for you. <laughs> um, I'm always going to tell people to get into the music business. I don't know where you belong because I don't know who you are. You know, it's, it's very much a find your, find your peg. Where does your peg belong? It's like buying jeans, man. You got to try on a bunch of styles before you find the jeans that are good for your butt. It's. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, that's, wow. that's perfect. It's so true. <laughs> it's a, it's a hunt. Let me tell it you. Is. It <laughs> is. It's true. Jeans, jeans are yeah. very, un- denim is unforgiving. The biggest advice that I can ever tell anybody in the music business is be open and like, just show up, man. Show up, be kind, like be excited. Like working in rock and roll is awesome. Don't, don't be a downer. Be excited to be there. Don't be late. Say yes to everything within reason, but like, go for it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I love that. You are infectious. Good infectious. <laughs> Wash your hands. Wash your hands immediately after this. <laughs> well. <laughs> Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Visit soundgirls.org for more information.